nothing but the blood of Jesus that we rest in. Um, Please take a seat while we pray. Um, My week has been full of um, kings this week. I've been studying the, the evilness of the kings of Israel and, of course, we as a nation have um, uh, a new king and it's just uh, all these things are making reflect on our king of kings. We, we, we sang praises to the king of kings earlier. So um, let's come before our king of kings who has done so much for us um, this morning. So let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are the king of kings. It is through your kingdom and how you lead your kingdom, how you lead us, that we can be washed, um, that we can be as white as snow because of what you have done. So, Father, we just praise you that you are the King of kings and that we come under your kingdom. And, Lord, we know uh, that you are the perfect king, that in your, your leadership there is no wrong that you guide and care and love for us. Though you are the king, you love us so deeply. And Lord, I bring before you as a nation, we, we um, as our queen has died and a new king has come into place. Father, I pray for that family as they grieve this um, loss and the change and the new season that is going to take place under a new king. Father, I pray that they stay under your kingship and that uh, they lead and focus on you as their king, um, as as, uh, the new king leads the nations. Heavenly Father, we pray that that your kingdom come. And Lord, we pray that uh, we thank you that Jesus showed us what that looks like to be part of your kingdom. Father, help us to shine light to others about what your kingdom is, how amazing and wonderful being under your uh, kingship is. Father, we just take a moment now to name people that we know um, need to know you, need to know you as king, need to know you as healer, need to know you as saviour. So we just name these people quietly to ourselves and to you. Heavenly Father, as your servants, as your people, Father, we rebel against you sometimes. And Lord, we just uh, take a moment now to confess those things, those times that we've rebelled against you, those things that we think and that we do that are not part of your kingdom. Lord, forgive us for those things. Lord God, you are a mighty saviour. As the king of kings, you are mighty, you are powerful, you are all-knowing, you are so much, Lord, and yet you love us, you forgive us, and we are so grateful for that. Lord, I thank you that in your kingship, in that mightiness, you come to us. You love us deeply, Lord, just uh, show us 
how to show that to other people. Heavenly Father, I just pray now for the rest of our service. I pray for Sam as he brings uh, your word. Father, by your spirit, may he speak of your kingship. And may we know in our hearts that you are the King of Kings, worthy of our um, being, being our King, of us serving you. Thank you, Father, for your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mon. Morning, everyone. Good response. That's nice. <laughs> I just wanted to, um, yeah, normally uh, on, on stage behind the pulpit, I, I, would, I don't like mentioning things like football teams or politics or, or other things, but I think uh, in this uh, moment um, I did want to just follow up with what Mon shared about our Queen Elizabeth because I think um, here, was, here was a woman who really role-modelled what it meant to serve uh, and, and sacrifice and to follow the teachings of Jesus in her own life. And uh, many would have been blessed with perhaps the uh, Christmas messages that she would often give at, at Christmas time and, and the way that she uh, lifted up the person of Jesus and, and who he was and in her life. And I've just got one quote here that, was probably one of the last ones that she said throughout my life the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide and in them I find hope wasn't that a beautiful summary really of of who she was and the way her Christian values uh, shaped the way she led and I, Mon, Mon prayed for our king I don't know if he's king yes be coronated doesn't he oh he is king okay <laughs> um, but I thought, wow, whoever follows in the footsteps of the Queen, that would be a hard job. Uh, it would be difficult for anyone because whoever follows will always be compared to Queen Elizabeth II. Um, and so that's going to be a tough gig. And so I think we should be praying for the King um, and, the, and that he follow in the footsteps of his mum uh, in the way that she led. So I just want to pray again, if we can do that. Lord, we, we thank you uh, for this woman who was a role model and who led a life of service and a life of your teachings being her guide and her hope. And Lord, we do pray for uh, Charles uh, and the family, but particularly for, for Charles as he leads. Uh, you, you say to pray for our leaders, and we do pray for him, Lord, uh, that he would find strength in you as his mother did, that he would find his guidance from you as his mother did, that the values and the teachings of the Bible would be centre in the way that he leads and rules as king. We pray for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have our tribe kids in with us, and if you haven't yet gone and got your Bibles... Uh, from up the back, I'd encourage you to do that because we're going to be continuing our series uh, on Acts and we are up to kind of the middle of the book of Acts. So if you haven't yet tried, got your Bibles, if you personally have brought your Bibles, I invite you to open to Acts 13. 
but before we sort of get into the text, just a bit of a background as to where we're up to, where we've come from, where we're heading. Acts chapter 13 really is the age of a new era. It is in some ways the age that we are in now. Uh, you could say, well, you know, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was the birth of the church and, and that was, you know, surely we're in that age. Yet uh, all up until now, the church has really been formed uh, within the Jewish community uh, and around Jerusalem. Uh, but it's now in Acts 13 that the message of Christ goes to the nations. Uh, you'll remember uh, at the very start I talked about how in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so uh, Luke follows this actual process, and the first couple of chapters are focused around uh, Jerusalem, the, the workings in the synagogue and, and the disciples in Jerusalem. But persecution breaks out with the stoning of Stephen and the, the disciples are dispersed and they're dispersed into the neighbouring uh, regions of Judea and Samaria. And Acts chapter 8 to 12, we had things like uh, Philip ministering in Samaria and to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. We have the calling of uh, uh, Peter to Cornelius and although Cornelius was a, a Gentile, he was, it was still sort of in the region of Samaria. And so really the focus has been on the disciples in Jerusalem and the focus has been on Peter. Now Peter sort of fades away into the background. He's going to turn up again in Acts 15. But now we're going to be the main person and the focus and the thrust of Acts is Paul. Uh, it's actually Saul until he becomes Paul in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Um, and so, so now Acts chapter 13 is really the spread of the gospel to the nations. And that's the age that really we are in now as, as a church. And we should be uh, monitoring and we should be um, following that process of going out into the nations. So we're in this new era, this, this missionary era. And Acts chapter 13 and 14 follow the very first missionary journey of uh, Paul and Barnabas. There was three missionary journeys in the book of Acts, and these chapters 13 and 14 are of the first missionary journey. Now, I thought thought maybe today we could cover the whole of the first missionary journey, and then I realised, no, I can't do that. So (laughs) I just want to just briefly... um, yeah, the end of Acts chapter 12 set us up for this. It says, The word of God continued to spread and flourish. And Barnabas and Saul, do you remember they, were, they went down to Jerusalem to bring offerings to them uh, because the Jerusalem church was suffering? And, but when they came back to Antioch, which is in Syria, um, they took with them John, John Mark. So he's the writer of the Gospel of Mark. He's the, the cousin of Barnabas. He's the son of Mary. There's lots of Marys in uh, who, who they have their um, house churches in when they're praying for Peter in, in prison. So there's a lot going on there, but they come back. So here is Antioch. Um, oh, sorry, that was me. I pressed something. Press something I didn't mean to press. If you can put that one back up, Dave. (laughs) 
Antioch is uh, north of Jerusalem. There we go. Um, over here. And the Antioch church is really the missionary base. Uh, you would think that Jerusalem would be the, the church in which uh, missionaries were sent out from, but it was in Antioch that we first heard them called Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch possibly because they fully embraced uh, the Christ-likeness of going out and spreading the gospel. So the church in Antioch we're going to read about this morning send Paul and Barnabas to, uh, to a port here and they sail across to Cyprus and they, they do what they, they had a strategy which was to go into the synagogues first uh, and, and preach to the Jews first because they had a, an understanding of the scriptures and to be able to spread the gospel. If you can convert some Jews to uh, Christi- Christianism, then you're going to have a better chance of spreading the gospel. So they, they go into synagogues. We're, we're going we're gonna to concentrate on the story that happens here. Uh, we're going to get to that in a minute. And then they, they head, head this way into the area of Galatia, the Galatians here. And uh, what's really interesting is here John Mark leaves the group. Uh, we're not given a reason for why he left, uh, but we do know that it, w- it was a part of conjecture between uh, Paul and Barnabas later on. We're going to get to that. That he didn't like Paul didn't like the fact that Mark left them. We don't know why, uh, but quite possibly uh, this was an area of uh, where malaria was quite. Um, rife, and perhaps Mark didn't want to get sick. It could be that he was homesick. He was a young man. He lived with his mum. Uh, he liked his mum cooking. Who knows? Um, it could have been that he didn't like the fact that Paul was taking leadership uh, because Barnabas was his cousin, so he went with him. And he didn't like the fact that Paul was now uh, taking, uh, taking ownership and leadership of, of the group. We're not told the reason, but it could have possibly been this idea of malaria because in Galatians, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. So it could be that um, he, he actually contracted malaria here and then that was the reason he went to higher ground uh, and then was in the area of the Galatians. And then uh, they, they have a whole heap of um, time in towns, both in this town and this town they, they have persecution uh, to the point where uh, in Lystra, Paul is actually stoned and they think he's dead. They drag him outside of the city. Paul then unconscious wakes up and goes back into the city uh, to continue preaching um, and then they go to Derba here. Now, what's interesting in Acts chapter 14 is they, they follow their tracks and they go back into the towns where they were persecuted. Really interesting idea what's going on here is that Paul and Barnabas want to set up leaders in the churches that they had set up. And so they don't want to leave them alone. They, they have a pastoral heart and they want to set up uh, leadership of the churches. And so they follow them back, and because of that, we have the letter to the Galatians. So um, Galatians was written when Paul went back to Antioch before the the next chapter in Acts fifteen. 
So I'm telling you all of this because it's really interesting. The first, uh, as the disciples, as Paul and Barnabas are sent out, it says a really interesting line. It says, the Spirit sent them on their way. The Spirit sent them on their way. It doesn't say, and then the Spirit told them to go here and told them to go there and told them to go here and told them in a dream to go here. They really just sort of, in a way, pushed out the door by the Spirit, and it's just coincidence and, and certain things that happen to them in their life that actually cause them to go to the, to the different areas. And it's the same with us in our life. You know, the Spirit really sets us up and, and saves us and, and empowers us and sets us to be sent and sends us on our way, and he uses people, he uses circumstances, he uses problems, he uses persecution to manoeuvre us and to bring us into relationships or into specific areas that he wants us to lead in and be part of. In fact, Paul here uh, really follows a, a process that is for every single disciple. That is, he's first saved. We know that Paul was a very sort of vicious man to the, to the Christians, but he's, he's saved in a miraculous way. He's saturated with the Spirit. He learns to serve, and then he's sent. Lots of S's. So he's saved, he's saturated, he serves, and then he's sent. And this is the same for every Christ follower. We're saved, we're filled with the Spirit, we're empowered, we find our giftings, we serve. Then there's a part of us where we're actually sent whether that be into our workplaces, into our family uh, situations, into our spheres of influence. I think quite often many of us miss that last one and we just long for the saturated bit. We come to church and we say, saturate me, feel me, have an experience. I want to I wanna know the presence of God. And yet at the end of each service, really, we're sent. As we walk out the door, we're sent into the mission that God has for each and every one of us. And God has a mission for you and God has a purpose for you to be sent into the world. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. So um, we're going to be looking at, if you open up on Acts 13, I've been told I should be 20 minutes today, so I'm going to be quick. All right, so now the church in Antioch, that was the church that we were talking about up the top there. There were prophets and teachers. And he named some of those prophets and teachers. Barnabas, we know of Barnabas. We've learnt a lot of him, son of encouragement. Simeon called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. Now, interesting here, Saul is the last on the list. Uh, when you get a list of names, I've talked about this previously, uh, they put the most important people first and the, the not important people at the end. Uh, that's going to turn around as you see lists uh, following here in, in Acts. Paul's going to be prominent and first. Barnabas is the leader, really, in, in the church of Antioch. And Saul is there serving, but they're having a prayer meeting. They're having a worship time. In fact, um, if you, in your Bibles, if anyone doesn't have the NIV, verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, anyone have a different word for worshipping the Lord? What have you got, Soren? Oh, sorry, I've got worshiping and fasting. 
worship. Anyone got anything different from worshiping and fasting? Anyone got different translations? Fasting and praying. The word there is actually a Greek word that I'm not going to try and pronounce. I'm not, I'm not very good at English, let alone Greek. Um, the, the word is what we get for our word for liturgy. And really a better translation was that they were ministering unto the Lord. They were ministering unto the Lord. You might say, oh, that song really ministered to me or you know, what you said, that really ministered to my heart. Imagine what you do actually ministering to the Lord. What we do, our worship actually ministers to the Lord. And so they're really acting out, they're, they're praying, they're fasting, they're worshipping, they're ministering to the Lord. And in that, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So they had fasted and prayed and they placed hands on them and sent, sent them off. The first thing I want to just share and, and bring to light really is something similar that I've been, been preaching all the way through Acts and that every single act of God, every calling, every, every sort of set-apartness comes first and foremost in a prayer meeting. It comes when the gathered people are together seeking and worshipping God whether that be alone or together. So Peter's up on the roof. He positioned himself in a place where he could pray and and hear from God, and and he gets the vision to go to Cornelius. Cornelius is praying when an angel speaks to him, Uh, and Ananias is praying. So the church or individually, when they're praying, when they're together, when they're seeking, when they're worshipping, when they're ministering to God, God acts and God speaks and does stuff in that. Now, some of us as Christians perhaps look at other people around us and say, oh, you know, they've got all the gifting or how come they've got that special ministry or that, that calling and they're able to do that. And maybe it's that they've positioned themselves to actually hear from God by coming to prayer meetings, by being regular at church, by being having a personal worship time. And, and they've, they've put themselves in that position to actually be able to, to hear from God. It's a bit like when uh, uh, bands or rock bands put um, tickets out for sale to a, to, a, to a show before the internet this was, uh, and you had to sell the tickets at the stops. You'd see these people lining up and, and camping out on the concrete pavement in a sleeping bag right? because they wanted to be the first to get a ticket in order to get the ticket they wanted that was the closest to the band so they could like get the spit on them as they like sang on them and stuff. You know, get the real experience. And because they positioned themselves, they, they made the effort, they put they put themselves in a place in order to get to the to the spot that they're gonna best experience that thing. I remember uh Joe once uh she surprised me growing up my dad listened to Simon and Garfunkel and that influenced me and I just loved the band and they came to Adelaide a few years back and she surprised me she had to go through her dad to put it on her credit card so it didn't show up and she bought me a ticket to go see Simon Garfunkel and it was an amazing experience but we were like right up the very back and you kind of needed binoculars to kind of see down the front and I thought wow like this is good but imagine how good it is for the people right at the front you can actually see them 
and see, see their mouths opening, the, the, the music that they're playing. So they've got a better experience, a better joy, a better, better life. And, and so these leaders and prophets are positioning themselves. They're, they're getting themselves in a place where they're going to get something from God. Can that be an encouragement to you? If you're wanting to hear from God, you've got to position yourself to hear from him. You've got to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. You've got to come to a prayer meeting. You've got to make yourself available in worship. Hear from God. Position yourself. Because it's in this beautiful picture. Now, we have here a great picture of the church. We have a wide variety of people. We know who Barnabas is. He's a, he's a Jew. But we've got Simeon called Niger. Now, that name means black-skinned. I'm not being racist. That's what the text says. That's where we get the name nigger from. So he's, he's, he's different coloured skin to the other people. We've got Lucius of Cyrene, who's also from Africa. We've got Manian here who's been brought up in royalty. The word there is, is a foster child. So a bit like Moses was fostered in, in Pharaoh's family. Um, here we've got someone who's brought up in the royal family. So he's obviously of wealth and high standing, yet he's with all sorts of people. And we've got Saul. We know who Saul is. So here we've got no distinction. We've got no um, sort of thinking about different statuses or cultures or whatever. We've, we've a beautiful picture. So what, should, what, what we should be facilitating in, in our church, people of all cultures, people of all races, people of all, um, like, you know what I'm saying. But they're all together. And this is why this is probably first thought as as Christians. And it's in that time that the Holy Spirit sets apart Saul and Barnabas. And so they set off. So the two of them set on their way by the Holy Spirit. There it is. See that? They were sent on their way. The Spirit sort of started them off and then they just followed whatever happened in their life. And they went down to Cilicia and sailed there to Cyprus. When they'd arrived on the east side of Cyprus, they proclaimed the God of word there in the Jewish synagogues. There it is. They went there first. And John, that's John Mark, was with them as their helper. Now we get into the story that we want to look at this morning. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now the proconsul is the governor of that region. Uh, The Romans sort of took over the whole of the region and there were uh, governors and there were leaders of the Roman world. So this was one who was, who was there as a governor of, from the Roman Senate. And he's governing this whole island. And he's got this attendant with him who is this Jewish sor- sorcerer, a false prophet. But the proconsul was an intelligent man. Why was he intelligent? Because he wanted to hear the word of God. So he sent for Barnabas and Saul 
He wanted to hear the word of God. He heard that they were on the island. He's an intelligent man and he wants to wrestle with this, this concept. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's his name. We haven't had his name yet. He's just been identified as a Jewish sorcerer. Opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from his faith. So who is this person that they meet and why is he important? Now, first of all, it's pretty interesting that his name is Bar-Jesus. That means son of Jesus. Now, Jesus was a very popular name at the time. It's not necessarily meaning that he's the son of Jesus Christ, but his dad might have been called Jesus. So he's son of Jesus. But what's really funny is as as you read the, the story, as it continues, Paul says, you're not the son of Jesus, you're the son of the devil. And he corrects him there. So there's some really interesting language going on. But you would never, ever come up and meet a Jewish sorcerer. In the Jewish, Jewish religion, sorcery was outlawed and it was capital punishment. If you were found practising anything like that, uh, it was, you were to be put to death. And so here we find someone, really, that really shouldn't be around. But what this person... Uh, represents is something that we see all throughout our society today and that is someone who takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that and they make up their own religion. So he's Jewish uh, from his background but he likes a bit of maybe the, the, the Western or the Eastern sort of flavour and he's taking this and he's synchronised it's called synchronism where you take different things from different religions and you, you put together your own recipe for what, what makes what, what is good for you. And that's really important because I think that's what the, the enemy likes to do. He likes to take what is true and what is right and twist it or add a little bit or that sounds true but it's not quite true. Did the Lord really say don't eat of that tree? And so here we have what's represented as someone that we might come across today who likes the teachings of Jesus but perhaps likes a bit of this and likes a bit of that and puts it all together. He's a false prophet. And Paul is going to confront that very thing that he represents So then Saul, so the proconsul is wanting to hear the word of God. He's wanting to hear what they have to say. This guy is trying to distract them and say, no, nah, don't listen, don't listen to them. So then Saul, who is also called Paul, this is the first time he's called Paul. Paul was his uh, Roman name. Saul was his Hebrew name. So now he's, he's taking on this role of ministering to the Gentiles. He's taking on his, his Gentile name. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, I'm going to hold it there. Now, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you, know, you, you want to speak something to someone, you, you sort of whisper beautiful sayings to them, don't you? You sort of want to pour God's love on them and his grace and, and share God's, God's word. And he says, you child of the devil. <laughs> You enemy of everything that is right. 
you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Wow. Just get out of the way there. <laughs> Pretty interesting way of speaking to a person, isn't it? I mean, if I got up on the stage and I just pointed one of you out and said, you son of the devil, you blah, 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 you might go, whoa, <laughs> what's going on there? But what's actually happening here is Paul is actually speaking the truth in love. He's actually declaring who this man is and what he's about. And he's saying it with such ferocity because a man's salvation is at stake. Well, two people's men, two people's, his own, this, this false prophet, but also the proconsul is wanting to listen and this person is getting in the way and so he is, he is declaring something because a man's eternal life is at stake and so it needs to be spoken, it needs to be said. Now, I think this is something that we as Christians perhaps have forgotten to do in this day and age, particularly in a day and age where we don't like to offend anyone is to speak the truth in love, particularly where people's eternal life is at stake. We like to sort of speak nice truth and nice fluffy stuff, but Paul gets right to the point and he declares the truth and he's not afraid to say what is right and what is needed at that time. I think many of us see a situation and we go, oh, that's not right and this needs to be said. But we lack the courage to actually speak the truth, particularly when someone's life and their soul and their eternity is at stake. So so Paul does this with great effect and he then performs his very first recorded miracle He says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Now he, now he, he believed simply because he saw, but he was amazed at the teaching. Here the teaching and the signs and wonders go hand in hand as we see throughout the book of Acts. He saw, but he was also amazed at the teaching. Now, what's really interesting here is that Paul makes what happens to this sorcerer exactly what happened to him. You remember he was on the road to Damascus and he saw the light and he was blinded. And for three days, Paul couldn't see. And he had to be led by the hand. Now Paul makes this miracle happen upon this person, which is exactly the same thing that happened to him. Now, I just want to perhaps think about what that means. You're not going to read about this in any... I haven't come across any people saying this. This is just me and a a thought. (laughs) is that perhaps Paul is being gracious to this person because in Paul's own life, that period of three days was really important to him. It was a time where he wrestled 
and he processed where he thought, where he couldn't see stuff. So he just had his mind to process what was happening. Perhaps Paul, in his grace to this man, made him go through the same thing so that he had to also not be able to see but just think and process about what they were saying. Imagine what our lives would be like if we had three whole days not being able to see. We'd do a lot of processing, I think, wouldn't we? We'd do a lot of thinking, wondering, pondering, what is this Jesus about? Who, who is this? So maybe this is a bit of grace to this man. Now, as I was listening again to this story uh, in the car, it was being read to me from a different translation. Now I want to just get into it. I think what's going to be a bit of a prophetic time because I think something jumped out at me, which is something that I want to just share with you as a church, and I believe that the Lord wants to speak to you either individually or perhaps for us corporately as a church out of the text this morning. And it's from the verse um, where, it's, where Paul says, uh, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? There in verse 10. See, Paul is confronting this person who is trying to bend, trying to trick, trying to take the eyes off the straight ways of the Lord. And you and I can be tempted to do that too. When I was listening in in the car in, in preparation, it was being read from the ESV, and it says this, But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Spirit, looked intently at him, and he said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Will you not, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And straight away that just jumped out at me. This is what I want to share with you this morning. There's a famous uh, quote from a poet that says, the path of least resistance leads to crooked rivers and crooked men. And I remembered this quote as soon as I read that was read to me. Stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. See, when a river travels, it just follows gravity and, and it will go straight until it hits something of resistance whether it be a tree root or a rock. And rather than going through the rock, it takes the easy route and it goes around it and it curves and then it goes straight until it hits another bit of resistance and it curves. And that continues and that forms a river and a a crooked river. In fact, I've got a couple of pictures of here. So these bends have been caused by the water and the path hitting something of resistance. And rather than going through it, it just follows the least least path of resistance and it becomes crooked. And the same principle applies to you and I as we follow the straight paths of the Lord. God's ways and his purposes and his truth is straight and true and strong. And it is a narrow path, but it's, it's straight. And the devil will come to us and say, is it really straight? Why don't you just go around that hard bit? Whether that be the call to serve, the call to give, 
the call to sacrifice, the call to persecution. Maybe John Mark saw the straight path and saw the persecution ahead and said, I don't want that. I'm going to go back home. And he's, and he's turned, turned a path. I was thinking about this whole concept and I was, I, was line, I was the line marker for my kids' soccer game and the person who did the line marking was, did this <laughs> really crooked line and I was, I was there trying to like say which way it went out and I had to really concentrate because the boys would take it right up to the line and a bit that was <laughs> like this. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting because... A line marker needs to line his mark straight. Like that's, that's the job of a line marker, isn't it? If, if you make it, it curve, then it sort of undoes the whole point of a straight line. Here is a line marker who met resistance and rather than getting off his machine and moving the branch... He's followed the path of least resistance and it's made his line crooked. And this represents you and my journey of Christian walk. We, we meet something that's difficult, that requires effort, that is hard, and rather than push through, rather than ask for God's empowerment to break that, we simply go around it and we become crooked. If we do it over and over again, before we know it, we, this, is, this, is, this represents our life, right? Who wants that to represent their life? Or who wants their life to be true and strong and purposeful and right and pure and good? Strong, straight. Stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Now this, I got on a bit of a bit of a roll when I started searching for these, because you know it can happen in all sorts of workman type scenarios. Here's a paver who obviously did some work under the the ground, and rather than put the pavers back in the place that they should go in. Just it's easier just to lay it flat, and there's the result. There's a concreter who wanted to concrete the uh, the side of the path, and rather than move the cone, that's someone else's job. I'm just going to concrete <laughs> over the cone. <laughs> Can you see that bottom of the cone poking out of the concrete? Someone put a hole in a brick wall. And you've got to make it straight again. You've got to, you've got to fix the wall. Okay, I'm going to fix the wall. No worries. Put, just put, put the bricks in. Going back to the line marking, here's another example. You could move the pile of dirt, but no, that's someone else's job. You know, I'm going to take the easy route. And this one is my ultimate favourite. <laughs> Car shouldn't be parked there. Stuff it. I'm going to go over them anyway. I want to go back to the, the original one because I think this, this is a great picture. And this is exactly what Paul is confronting in this 
this bar Jesus man. He's a proconsul who's wanting to hear the truth of the gospel, what it means to follow Christ. And this guy is, is diverting him, he's, he's pulling him away and he's saying, it's, it's not straight, it's, it's a bit like this. Be, be like me who takes a bit of this and a bit of that and you can, you can be all over the place and you can be wobbly as. But Paul confronts him and he says, don't make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. In your life, what is Jesus calling you to that perhaps is already a bit bent to be straightened up? How do we go to the spiritual chiropractor? <laughs> Come back to the straight paths of the Lord. Or what are you facing right now that is tempting you to take the easy route of less resistance? The route that's going to cause your life to become crooked. At the end of Acts, we've been talking about these questions. As you place yourself in the narrative of Acts, what are you surprised by? What challenges you're thinking this morning? What have you been challenged by? What challenges your way of thinking your life that you lead? What can we learn about the early church as we saw them sending people out? Is that a challenge for us as a church that we should be sending each other out more uh, profoundly. But this one, as you read through the story of Acts, what is Jesus personally saying to you? As you've heard the words spoken over you this morning, I'm going to put this one up here to end on. I want you just to gaze upon this picture. I want you just, just for a few moments right now as we've got time, just to be thinking about your life. And as you want to follow Christ, his teaching, his way, his truth, his life, and as you want to go down that straight and narrow path, what is it that is coming up against you? I want to read to you a word that was given to me in 15th of March 2020 by someone here in the church. And I feel like this is a word not just for me but for us right now in this moment. It says this, There is a real sense that our God is calling his church worldwide and here and perhaps as always has to be renewed in holiness, to be set apartness, to be shaped by the word and not the world, to be filled with his Holy Spirit and not the spirit of the age, to be holy as he, our Father in heaven, is holy. May you find yourself torn, you may find yourself torn between staying on the straight and narrow path with the temptations to compromise and be led to the road that would grow a little wider. I believe God wants to encourage me to stay on the narrow path and be bold in calling others to follow it with you, even if this means sacrifice, even if this means resistance. Some may turn away and be put off or offended by the truth of the gospel, but if we are after true fruit, then springing from the tree, from the Lord's planting, then there is no choice it's the gospel or bust.
it's the straight ways of the Lord or it's a crooked life. I'm going to leave this image up here for two minutes and I want you to ask the question, Jesus, what are you saying to me this morning? What does that branch represent in my life and what are you calling me to? And then after a time of silence, I'm going to invite the the musicians up. We're going to sing a song for us to perhaps respond to what the Lord is saying. So let's just gaze on this for a couple of minutes. Anyone feel bold enough to share something? Something that the Lord's just been saying to you right now? Last chance. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the person of Paul who was able to confront that which might come across our lives and try and distract us from your straight and narrow path that you're calling us to walk in and rejoice in and be joyful in. And Lord, as you've spoken to many of us here this morning, there is a sense of making straight again the things perhaps that we've let go sense of what it means to be pure and righteous, what it means to follow your word. Perhaps for some of us it's coming back to serving and sacrificing to follow you. And Lord, I sense that there's some people right now who are facing some big rocks in front of them. And it might feel like it's easier to just simply go around them. But Lord, I just pray right now that you would give them the strength to break through in the power of your spirit. That they wouldn't take the path of least resistance. That they would see your true and straight and good way. That they would trust you. That that way is better than a crooked way that that way would bring about more fruit, would bring about more joy in their life. And it might seem like it's a big rock, it's too hard to get over, it's too strong, it's too powerful, but Lord, you are an amazing God. Nothing is impossible for you. So Lord, whatever that rock represents right now, we pray for the Lord to be at work. Lord, you'd be breaking it down, you'd be removing it, You'd be giving the strength to each and every one of us to to walk through, to move that thing out of the way so that we could walk the straight path that you're calling us to. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
to stand together and sing and just continue to be in this space where the Lord's can continue to speak to you and minister to you. Perhaps there is that rock in, in, in your way. As you sing, as you call out to him, ask him to do the miraculous. Ask him to work in your life. Let's do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, an opportunity for prayer there's always an opportunity to come down or join us in the prayer room after the service if you want to talk or if you just want to have someone stay with you and pray the chance is always there so um, do feel free to join us after um, this last couple of weeks I learned what a benediction was I didn't actually know what that meant. And uh, we had a meeting with, uh, I don't come from necessarily a traditional church the background, so um, certainly not an English-speaking one anyway. So it was uh, all these words that I didn't understand. But we had a meeting with the leaders and um, of the, you know, the service leadership group and talked about the idea of uh, closing with benedictions and encouraging people with a word from um, from the Bible. So... This week I've, uh, I've chosen one from Ephesians 3. It says, uh, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 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 So there you go. I'm going to leave you with those words. I hope you guys um, have a wonderful week. Join us for a coffee. Hang around and have a chat. Weather's good. You can let the kids run around outside a little bit. You can spend some time in prayer if you want as well. Thank you. Have a good week.